Thanks for joining us for the Westbridge Church Podcast. More information about Westbridge Church is available at westbridgedanville.com. Here's this week's message from Pastor John McDougall. Thank you, worship team. We gather to make much of our Lord, don't we? He's our audience of one. As we were worshiping through music, I was being reminded of the little saying, Jesus Christ, obviously present, actively in charge. He is with us this morning, and he reigns this morning. And as we open his word, really the prayer of our heart is, bring us into harmony with your will and also with one another. Change us, change me, that I might be like you, be like him, and follow him and what he would call us to. So thanks for being here today. Question for you, quick question. In the category of shoes, is anyone here wearing Puma shoes? Any Pumas this morning? No. How about Adidas? Any Adidas wears this morning? No? All right. Well, we'll just go with that. Do we have the logos we can put up there? All right. Does anyone know the story behind this, these two brands of shoes? Pretty fascinating. Yes, Adidas founded by Nazis. That, that great intro there. <laughs> actually, actually, yet a guy named Adolf and his brother Rudolf uh, had the idea. Adolf was the creative one. Rudolf was the, the uh, salesman, energetic. And they said, hey, let's start a shoe business. Where are we going to start this? Well, let's mom's laundry room will work. And so it was in their mom's laundry, laundry room there in Germany in the 1920s a quaint town that this business was uh, birthed. And so these guys were sweating it out when their big day came in 1936, the Olympics, when Jesse Owens was wearing their shoes. That, and it was called, their last name was Dazzler. And it was the Dazzlers, two stripes down the side of these uh, spikes. And Jesse Owens won four gold medals. They put them on the map, the Dazzlers. Everyone wanted to wear the Dazzlers. And so they started cranking out 200,000 pair of Dazzlers a year. Business was booming, success. But as business was booming, so was tension within the relationship of these brothers. And we know there were probably lots of things that went into the, the conflict, but no one's quite sure, but they, we, we are pretty sure we know the, the straw that broke the camel's back happened during World War II. They were being bombed. And uh, they, uh, Ru Rudy, he called Rudolph for short, Rudy was in the bomb shelter with his family when Adolph and his family came to the same bomb shelter. Jumped in, and as he's jumping in, he says, and I'll rephrase this a little bit, but he said, the idiots are back. And he was talking about the bombers, but Rudy thought he was talking about him and his family. Whoosh, blew him up, blew up the family. And so the two brothers split the company. They uh, put it on, they each started their own company on each side of the river that ran through town. And Adolf, Addy for short, he took Addy, the first part of his name, and then Das, Dazzler, the last part of his name, and, and that became Adidas. And then Puma started out as Rudy, where Rudy did the same thing, took R-U for Rudy and then D-I-D-A, but um, but quickly changed it to Puma. We don't know why. I'm guessing he's, he saw his brother go Adidas, and he's like, I'm not going to do that. And so, and the two companies um, 
fractured actually that town. It's said the brothers never spoke again, and the town actually became fractured. Where uh, it, it, uh, tourists and, and people in that part of the country called it the town of bent necks. That, that's what the, the whole town became known as the town of bent necks. Why? Because they were always looking down at your shoes to see what, what shoe you were wearing. Were you one of, one of us or were you one of them? Were you wearing? It was even said that, that you were not to marry across company lines. Can you believe that? Date or marry uh, uh, someone from the, the Adidas camp or the Puma camp. The two brothers died and were buried in the same cemetery, but opposite ends of the cemetery. And you hear this story and you just think, man, that's so sad. The gift of family, what, what was meant to be a, a precious relationship, what a mess, blown up, peace shattered. And then you look at this story and think, that's humanity, isn't it? The story of humanity. It's the same mess we see on the first pages of the Word of God to us in Genesis 4 when you have brother Adam's sons, brother Cain, killing brother Abel over worship style. It's the same mess that we, we feel and is, threatens our own families, especially this time of year as we gather. And, and often there's those old tensions that are come back up to the surface. We, uh, we feel it in our biological families. We feel it at work. We feel it even in our faith family. We feel it in our communities, especially right now. We feel it in our world, don't we? Peace that's been shattered. But it's into this mess that what Wes just read, Isaiah chapter 9, says the, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. For to, unto us, Isaiah 9, a child is born. Unto us, a son is given. And then it goes on to describe who Jesus is. Wonderful counselor, everlasting father, mighty God, and prince of what? Peace. I love the way as the angels show up on that dark night, it's into this mess they say, really we see the, the two great purposes of Christmas, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests, glory to God and to those who receive his, his favor, peace. And it's into this mess that when our Lord grows and, and begins to set out his kingdom really manifesto in Matthew chapter 5, he looks at you and me and he says this. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God or children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Jesus came into our mess as the prince of peace. To, And this idea of peace is bringing two what was meant to be together, a relationship that's been ruptured, that's been fractured, two groups that are at war to bring us together to be one. And then he looks at you and me. And this is what's profound. And he says, now you go make peace. Go into the mess of ruptured relationships and make peace. What's unique about this, this translation uses children of God. The literal translation is, is sons of God. And there were two, two words that Jesus could have used there. The, the general word for children, he does not use, but he uses the word son because that, the word son gives us the hint that, that 
what, what he's saying in this is we reflect the image of our father. A, a son reflecting the image or the character of our father as we make peace. And what's beautiful about this is you look at this, this calling of God. When do we most reflect the glory of God as his image bearers? It's when we go into the mess to make peace. And, and here's the idea. When you go into the mess to make peace, when we enter a ruptured situation, ruptured relationship with the prayer and with the hope and, and doing all we can to bring the two together, our father says, that's my boy. That's my girl. Jesus, he leads the way, and then he calls us into that. So, could somebody ask me, what do I do? You might ask me, bro. What do I do? Family business. Now, could you ask me, what's your family business? We make something really, actually, it's, it's of priceless value. Could you ask me what that is? Yeah. The, the product that we make in our family business is peace. We make peace. That's what we do, family business. Could you ask me how I make that? How do we make peace? I'm so glad you asked. And that, that's where we're going today. And if, as, you, as we dig into this truth today, really, you could look at it as an apprenticeship in the family business. And we're going to take a tour of the source of our peace, and then we're going to be equipped with three ways that we can actually be peacemakers. So if you would join me in Ephesians chapter 2. Thank you, Luke. It is so good to have you back and have you sitting on the second row, man. <laughs> but uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Here we see Paul says, therefore. Anytime you see the word therefore, you, you ask, what's it there for? It's pointing back, and we know this is pointing back to that great passage, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that says, for we are saved not by what we do. We are saved by grace through faith to do good works. But, but he's saying, okay, now remember this. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. He's referring to the, to the Jews. Remember, circumcision was a sign given of God's promise. It was uh, Genesis chapter 17 to, given to Abraham, and it was really a mark of, of who they were as uh, people living under the, in the covenant with God. And then verse 12, he says, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. So this is referring to all of us who are Gentiles, who are not Jews by birth. We were excluded from citizenship in Israel. We were foreigners to the covenants of the promise without hope and without God in, in the world. It's good just to remember before Christ where we were. Really, he's saying, you, you are far, far, far from God. And if you could picture a, the city of Jerusalem and even the temple with walls around it, we couldn't go in. We were excluded from the promises without hope, without God in this world. Verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus. Common phrase and concept in the book of Ephesians and just that idea that when we come to faith in Christ, we become one with him. And he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. He's speaking of the cross. And then verse 14, he says, for he himself is our peace. Who has made the two groups one 
and destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and its regulations. Speaking of the cross and what Jesus did, fulfilling the law as he lived the perfect life, and then on the cross, paying for our offenses when, when we did not keep the law. And look at what it says next. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity, one new body. We see it throughout the New Testament. And, and who is this, this new humanity, this new body? It's the church. It's us. Out of the two, thus making peace, peace between Jew, Gentile, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to those who were far away and peace to those who were near, for through him we have access to the Father by one spirit. The big idea in this text, if you circle one phrase, is verse 14. Jesus Christ is our peace. It is only through Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross that we have peace with our Father in heaven. The idea of reconciliation is the idea of bringing two parties that were separated at war with one another together. And he did that through his body and the sacrifice that he gave for us. He gave on our behalf at the cross. I love that picture of the cross where the, 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 uh, there's the uh, vertical peace that he won in that moment but there's also the horizontal peace that that he won in that moment we could sit on this concept and in this beautiful reality and truth and just talk about it all day long he is our peace not only with our father in heaven but when he what he did on the cross also made peace possible with each other the the powers of darkness that disintegrate us and ruin our relationships, fracture our relationships, shatter our relationships, that power was defeated in that moment that he gave himself for us. And in that moment, he made one new humanity where there is nothing that can separate us. As humans, what do we do? We, we build walls, right? We, uh, we have hurts and fractures. We, we, we're different. We let all these things divide us. But at the cross, what did Christ do? He put to death our hostility. He tore down the barrier wall of hostility. Anything that divides us, he, he put a hammer to it, tore it down. He is our peace. Isn't that awesome? And today as we, we celebrate Christmas and we worship him, we remember this is the why of Christmas. What did Jesus come to do? He came to win our peace to reconcile us with the Father, but also to reconcile us with each other. And as his body, we're called to go into the mess, into the darkness, where people are building up walls, and we are called to go make peace. And as we do, what's the Father say? That's my boy, that's my girl. This is our calling. And so the question then becomes, okay, if this, if he is the source of our peace, if peace is possible, through faith in him. How do we do this? How do we live this out? And this is where we, we get into his word. We'll look at three key texts that equip us to go make peace where, where there's a mess and where relationships are ruptured. The first is found in Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. 
reads, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you are called to peace. Now, when we talk peace, there's three arenas of this peace. There's peace with God, there's peace with each other, and then there's the inner peace. Which peace is he, emphasis is he talking about here? And we learn this from the context, right? And so here we see it's the context of when he says, since as members of one body you are called to peace, he's talking about this inter, interpersonal peace. And he's saying, now let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. So first action step, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. What does it mean to let his peace rule in our hearts? It means this peace that he's called us to, which, which is coming together, um, bringing two warring parties together. It's letting this peace be our passion as we do life. So, so the idea of, as I allow my thoughts to form, I am, it means his peace is, is really umpiring my thoughts or governing my thoughts. So as, as I'm thinking, and, and we all have that just constant whirl of thoughts going through our minds, I'm allowing his peace to, to filter out the thoughts that, I'm asking this question, are, are these thoughts creating unity in, the relation, in my relational world, or are these thoughts creating disunity? Are they disintegrating possibly relationships? Thinking about the relationships in your world, and, and maybe somebody hurts you, and so um, what do you think about this person? And one of the most helpful passages for letting the peace of Christ rule in our thoughts is Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, that says, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is lovely, admirable, all these, these things, think about these things. That's what it means to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. It also means letting his peace govern what we say. So the filter before we say a word is, is this going to create Unity in relationships, is this going to bring people together or is this going to disintegrate and create chaos and conflict in a relationship? His peace, um, the, the timing of, of what we say, tone of what we say is important in this. And then it also means filtering our actions with the same question. What I'm about to do, will this create peace or will it create conflict in this relationship? And this is where the gift of the Spirit is, is such a gift. We're called to live led by the Spirit of God. And what's the fruit of the Spirit? What, what's he leading us into? Love, joy, and what? Peace. And the context, if you read Ephesians or Galatians 5, where we see the fruits of the Spirit, it's, it's a relational context. It's peace with each other. And, and he's leading us into that. And he'll, he'll nudge us this way, that way. And you can sense in your own heart when you're about to do something, that's going to create uh, conflict. He'll grieve you. You'll feel that grief. Don't go that way. And um, go this way. If the peace of Christ is ruling our heart, our passion will, will be to bring really resolution to broken relationships. And so much so that it becomes our reflex. It becomes, we become peacemakers. So that as we do life, when we see a wall of hostility being built up, our reflex is grab a hammer and tear that down. So we hear someone talking about someone else, and, and uh, you know that there's a relationship that's just rupturing right here. It grieves our heart, and we're pray, we pray over it, but we also immediately begin to think, what can I say, do? What, what can I, how can I help bring 
piece to this relationship. What do you do? Family business. What's our business as a family? It's to make peace. How do we do that? Let the peace of Christ rule your heart. So what is it that, that threatens to dethrone the, the peace of Christ in our hearts? We all face it. We all battle it. James puts a, a spotlight on it. He highlights it over in James chapter 3 where he says in verse 16, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you, there you find disorder and every evil practice. And then verse 17 he says, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, and then, then it's peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. And then I, I love the way he puts the reward on it here. He gives us a, a little window into what will happen if we go make peace. He says, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. And the conflict may be big, it may be serious, but there is no conflict so big that when the presence of God enters that conflict through a spirit-led, Christ-following peacemaker, that there's not hope for resolution and for unity. Now, it is true making peace is not easy. Most of us don't enjoy the moving into the mess of, of conflict, do we? It's just not a, a pleasant thing even to think about this morning. So it's helpful to remind ourselves, why are we doing this? Why does this matter? There's a, a theological foundation that's right here in this text that really should move us to, to go make peace where there's a mess. And it's, it's the second part of the verse. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart since as members of one body you were called to this. Christ, our leader, died to make us one. Therefore, as members of his body, we must live to, to preserve the unity of what he died to give us. And then he adds, for to this you are called. What's the calling on your life, on my life? It's to make peace. And so we go, uh, letting the peace of Christ rule in our hearts to make peace. All right, the second action step, second way that we're equipped to, to go into the mess to make peace is found in Ephesians chapter 6, verse, verses 14 and 15. Ephesians 6 context here this is the armor of God 610 says be strong in the Lord in his mighty power now put on this armor for, for when the evil day comes you'll be able to stand stand firm is is the constant imperative throughout this and listen to what he says we'll pick it up in the middle of this passage he says stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of what? Peace. So the calling here and the, the, the uh, key piece of armor we're going to look at today as peacemakers is shoes or, or a readiness. You might circle the, the word readiness. And the, the action step is this. Live soldier ready to go make peace. This is living, when he says, have your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. This is that idea of understanding Jesus came to make peace. He came to reconcile what, what the enemy shattered. Now, when the evil day comes in your life and my life, what's the enemy going to do? What, what's his primary agenda? 
When the devil shows up in your living room, what's he want to do to your family? Shatter the relationships, right? That's his primary agenda. Shatter this relationship and shatter the relationships that, that Christ came for us to restore. So, as peacemakers, what do we need to be ready to do? We need to be ready like a soldier who has his fighting shoes on to move into that mess and fight for the peace. Isn't that a cool picture? Saying, get ready. Now, when do you get ready for that? You don't want to be lacing up your shoes when the battle's already broke out. You want to have your shoes on and ready to go. And this is really important in the, in the realm of peacemaking because we, we naturally do not um, run toward the conflict. I was thinking about the, uh, just the importance of training, especially in the realm of, of keeping the peace as it moves into the, the arena of our, the military, the peacemakers for our nation. And one of the, I heard this past week, I don't know if this is true, Marines can confirm this, but they say one of the sayings a Marine has is, is taught early on is run toward the gunfire. So when you hear gunfire, run toward it. Why, why must Marines be trained with that mindset? Because our natural tendency is to run away from it. I immediately thought of a moment in our lives. We were living in Dallas, and I would bike from our apartment down to the seminary that was in a pretty bad part of town, and it was about a three-mile bike, and there was one neighborhood where you could hear gunshots go off on occasion in broad daylight. It was just crime-infested. So as I'm riding my bike through that neighborhood, I would preserve my energy in the nice neighborhood, and then, man, when I hit that neighborhood, it was in fifth gear. I'm just flying through this neighborhood, and I'm, if they're going to shoot me, they're going to have to shoot a moving target, and, uh, and then if I heard gunfire, I know I'd go all the faster. But there was a group of people in Dallas who are the peacemakers who, when they hear gunfire, they're running towards it. It's what peacemakers do. And here he's saying, guys, now that you understand the gospel of peace, and you've received peace with God, and you understand your, your role to be a peacemaker, when the enemy shows up to fracture a relationship, get your feet ready to go to battle on behalf of, of that conflict, that situation, to to, uh, to be a peacemaker in that realm. A great illustration of living soldier ready happened just a couple weeks ago in one of our gyms here in, in uh, Indiana, youth basketball. Can you believe that there will be a lack of peace in a youth basketball game here in Indiana? <laughs> but even this surprised me as one coach was telling me what happened one Sunday afternoon recently where um, a fan was going off on the ref. And one of these uh, dads that was just couldn't keep, keep his mouth shut, yelling at the ref, yelling at the ref. The ref told him, warned him, you got to shut up. Stop. Zip it. And he refused to stop. He told him, if you don't stop, I'm going to have to toss you. And so the guy kept going. And sure enough, he walks right over to him. Tease him up and you're out of here. Well, the guy said some more things. And so that ref, whoop, pulled off his stripes. And he's ready to fight. He's, they're gonna, it's going to go down right here in this gym. Youth basketball. Well, thankfully, Jesse Fulwider, who, who uh, he protects the peace, he's a peacemaker by profession. Was, I think he was there at the scorer's bench or something. Boom. He's up just like that. He smelled, he saw it, he smelled it. Here comes the fight. And uh, he's up. And he uh, lifted up his badge to, to, to represent. I represent someone far bigger than just me. Guys, you don't want to do this. And de-escalated the situation and, and made peace. 
He was ready. Why? He's trained for that, right? We are peacemakers, right, guys? It's family business. It's what we do. And here he's saying, live ready. Have your feet ready to stand. Once again, as he says, stand firm with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. We, uh, as we think about these moments, there's, there's a hesitancy. This is not fun to do. And it can be scary as you, you move into this, really a, a realm that's dominated by evil at the moment. What is our confidence? What gives us strength and should keep us going in this? And going back to the start of this passage, Ephesians chapter 6, 10, what's he say? Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We hold far more than a badge representing a sheriff, sheriff's department. We go in the power of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, the Prince of Peace. When you step into a conflict, know that you represent him. He's with you in those moments. We can stand with boldness, not in our own strength or wisdom, but in his power and in his authority. All right. So how do we go into the mess to make peace? Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. We, we're ready. We're living ready, soldier ready to go make peace. But third, the third way that we're equipped, an action step here is found in Hebrews 12. It's actually a, a representative passage of many passages in the New Testament. But Hebrews 12 verse 14 says this, make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Third action step is make every effort to live in peace with everyone. Can you feel the urgency in those words? The, the every, make every effort. This is like, it's a call to action, isn't it? This is not something to think about, something to, something to, uh, to talk about. This is something to do. Make every effort. In the realm of basketball, it's going after the loose ball and it's diving onto the floor for that loose ball. This means being the one who takes the initiative to seek reconciliation, making the first move. If we know that a relationship has been ruptured, whether it's our relationship or, or someone close to us where we have the uh, credibility to speak into that, we're the one making the move, taking the initiative. We're not waiting for the other person who we think, well, they should come to me and, and make this right or somebody else to step up. We're making the effort. We're going to make peace. You say, why me? Why should I have to do that? What do we tell ourselves when we start asking that question? Why should I be the one to make the first effort to make peace? What do we say? Family business. It's what Jesus did. The Prince of Peace made the initiative, took the initiative while I was a still, still a sinner to seek peace, on, um, to make peace or reconcile me. This is what we do as we follow him. This also means being the one who is crystal clear on where we need to go to make peace. At the heart of every conflict, there are two words. Every conflict, there are two words. And check your own, you, you, this is true of, I, I, pick any conflict, two words, I will. I will. It's called a vow. <clears throat> and it's a vow that we make where we say, in this area, God, I'm not doing your will. I'm doing my will. 
And do you know where those two words lead us? Death. Hell on earth. And that's where the enemy of your soul and my soul wants us to live. I will. I will not be hurt. I will not say I'm sorry. I will not forgive that person. I will not let go of this grudge. And if you live in that, I will. Your life will be hell on earth. I'm just saying truth. So where do you find freedom? Only one place. The foot of the cross where we kneel and we pray, not my will, but your will be done. And the power of God will set you free. There was a tree back in Genesis 3 where two people said, I will. And the curse went out and shattered every relationship and we're still under the curse. But there was another tree on Mount on a mountain, Mount Calvary, where our God came, the Prince of Peace, and he died there, not only to forgive us of our sin, but to make it possible for us to live at peace. And if we surrender to him in that moment, the Prince of Peace, there is a restoring power that will ripple through every relationship in your life. That's the good news. And that's where we've got to go in every conflict. So if you're helping somebody to find peace, in your mind, you're thinking there's only one place we got to go, and that's we got to get these two people to the foot of the cross, kneeling down, saying, not my will, but your will be done. And if we can get them there, by God's help, peace will happen. There is no conflict too big that the power of God cannot resolve and restore at the foot of the cross. Amen? But guess where the enemy doesn't want us? He doesn't want you there. But that's where we fight to go got to get there and it's there we receive power I love the uh, bitterness man it just melts there doesn't it <laughs> we realize what he did for us and what he calls us to bitterness melts grudges dissolve healing happens what good is family if you don't have peace you know Christmas you can have a beautiful home you can have all the money in the world but if you've got hell in your house and hell in your relationships what good is that? That's the gift of Christmas, what Christ came to give us and what we get to be a part of, of helping others into. And so we make every effort to get to the cross. And then this also means being the one who commits to, to a lifelong journey of being a peacemaker as we learn. And this is a wisdom category, just learning what brings peace and what doesn't bring peace. I was thinking about my own life, and even it's hard <laughs> having to preach this. I, I knew there's going to be moments where the Lord will convict me, and there was a moment in our office this week that we were in the creative process, and we were getting a bunch of people together to think through an idea, and as leader of that process, I created an environment that hurt somebody. It didn't create peace, you know, and, and I just had to step, I had to apologize, and then later on and then step back and just say, John, okay, how could that have looked better? How could that have worked better and been a, a peaceful situation rather than a situation that, that hurt and was conflict? How we interact with each other. It's going to school on, okay, what's this personality type? How, how do they take information and how do I come across? How do other people experience me? What's my blind spot? 
Dads, what, what does God tell us as fathers in our homes with our kids? One command he gives dads, don't exasperate your kids, right? Being as dad, we're, we're the power guy in the home, and we can just, ah, we blow up our, our kids, you know? And he's like, don't do that. Learn what, what, how can you lead your child without creating anger in their heart, you know? And be a peacemaker. And it's a lifelong journey, isn't it? As we, we learn each other, learn ourselves. But it's what it means to make every effort to live at peace with everyone. I can hear someone thinking, okay, quick question. What about that relationship where I'm doing everything I can to create peace, but they just want to fight? What do we do about that? And Paul speaks into that in uh, Romans chapter 12, a great context for how we deal with, with evil in the world. But Romans 12, he says, if, if it is po- verse 18, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. So there may be some relationships that this side of heaven, I love the way that uh, the writer, the author of the, the serenity prayer puts it, and he says this, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, which may be another person who doesn't want to reconcile, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference, living one day at a time, enjoying one moment at a time, accepting hardship as a pathway to peace, taking as Jesus did, the sinful world as it is, not as as I would have it, trusting that you will make all things right if I surrender to your will so that I may be reasonably happy in this life and supremely happy with you forever in the next life. And so, what do you do? Someone asks you, what do you do? Family business. And what's our family business? We make peace. How do we do that? We follow our leader. We trust him. He is the source of our peace. But then he equips us. He says, all right, let my peace rule your heart. Let it govern your heart. What you think, say, do. Get your feet ready to be a peacemaker. When you see a conflict break out, be ready to to step in and go. And then make every effort to live at peace with everyone. Be active in this rather than, than passive. So I have some good news to share. I, I, it was 2009, September, the Adidas Puma family fracture was healed somewhat. I don't know how greatly it was healed, but it was healed enough that the two families, two companies crossed the, the river in their town, and they met for a friendly game of soccer. And I don't know the story behind that, how that happened, but I can't help but think there was a peacemaker in the mix. Someone who said, hey, there's a better way, another way. Today, I I know many of you are are in the midst of, you are peacemaking, you're doing this, you're in the mess, and, and you're living this out. And I hope this message is just an encouragement to you to keep on, keep on. And I hope you hear the Father saying, that's my boy, that's my girl. Keep on. Today, if you're in the midst of a conflict and you're wondering, the enemy has you thinking it's impossible, there's no hope, I hope you hear our Lord saying to you, there is hope. And for all of us, I I hope and pray that that this possibility will just be part of our life mission, but then that we will live equipped with what God has called us to in this.
And as a faith family, what would happen if we all become a unifying force in the relationships around us? What would happen for the glory of God? The, uh, this summer at Twin Lakes Camp, Taylor Mock was with her cabin. And we have a picture here of Taylor, actually. We'll start with the picture of Taylor, and this is her, these are her brothers. One brother in the Lord Lake there, but Taylor was at Twin Lakes um, counseling, and she was playing a game with, with her uh, group of girls, and some tensions arose. And we have a picture of the, the cabin here, and hard to imagine these girls could be mad at each other, but they were, and sports can do that. So she had been trained, though, to, to realize when, when you're playing a game and it, everyone gets ticked, don't run from that moment. Run into that mess, because that's the very point where change can happen, right? It reveals heart, reveals character, and then we can talk about, okay, how can we live in a way that looks like Christ, even as we compete. And so she did that. She sat them down, time out. All right, girls, it's, okay, well, we were talking, how we were talking, that, that's not how we want to talk. And she gave that, that speech. Well, afterwards, one of the girls pulled her aside and said, I wish I could talk differently, but I can't. I just, words just come out. And I just, and I don't want to say them, but they just do. And Taylor was able to lead her to the Prince of Peace and say, you know, you are exactly right. In our own power, we can't control what we say if we have a messed up heart but what Christ came to give us was a new heart and she led that girl to faith in Jesus Christ to receive the gift of salvation through faith which then empowers her to be a peacemaker rather than a conflict creator and as I thought about this story and, and just the beauty of it I thought context where was it that Taylor had the opportunity to lead someone to the Prince of Peace it was in the conflict. The very thing that we tend to run away from was the very spot God was about to bring a daughter home. <laughs> Isn't that cool? And it changes our mindset. So when we see a conflict, we're like, oh, no, not again. again. No, it's like, no, it's, it's game on. Shoes on, boom, we're running into the mess, and there's hope. And that hope is found in Jesus Christ. And the other great moment of this, Taylor's dad is in the back right here, Russ. And I can't help but think Russ is thinking, that's my girl. You know, and that's my girl. Look at her go. But what's our Heavenly Father saying? When he sees you step into a mess, not be part of the problem, but solution, bringing two right together, what's he say? We know. That's my son. That's my daughter. I don't know about you, but that's what I'm living for. That's the... the that's the payday, isn't it? Our audience of one, his well done. And so may we go with his love into the mess as peacemakers. Would you join me in prayer? Father, we thank you for the peace that you've given us. And this Christmas, we peace being a word that we think about often at, Christ, at the Christmas season, it, it can almost become white noise, and, and so we just... First, ask forgiveness for taking it for granted. Lord, I pray that you would just help us awaken again to how far we were from you. And, and now, what a gift it is to be at peace with you. Jesus, thank you for being the source of our peace through what you did for us on the cross. But we also thank you for this calling that you've given us to go into the mess to make peace. Thank you for equipping us to do this. Thank you 
for the peace that you've given us as a church family, the peace that's a part of our families. Lord, this Christmas, I pray that, that, uh, that we would be faithful to step into the mess, wherever that may be, doing the family business for your glory, making peace. We pray this in Jesus' name.